Hello, and welcome to Dockside, the podcast that helps you save and enjoy the waters you love by sharing clean and safe boating practices. I'm your host, Sarah Kennedy. In today's episode, we will meet Danielle Tenshirt, Director of Programs with Ocean Connectors, and we're going to learn about whales that reside off the coast of California, their importance to our marine ecosystems, challenges these whales are facing, and the resources the public has to help with reporting and research. Welcome to the show, Danielle. We're so excited to talk about these gentle giants that reside off the coast of California and how we can protect and interact with them. Thank you so um, much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, so let's start off, why are whales important to our ecosystem? And can you talk to us about the term whale pump and the whale's importance in carbon sequestration? Yeah, so um, whales obviously play a vital role in food webs um, and maintaining balance in other marine populations. So that's obviously su super important. Um, but the term whale pump is really cool, and I'd love to talk about that. So the term whale pump refers to how whales help cycle the nutrients in the ocean. So typically when you have nutrients in the ocean, um, it, it tends to fall down in the water column, um, in, and it's called a, a term marine snow. Um, so it's all these bits that have been broken down and fall all the way down to the ocean floor, and that's where it kind of ends up getting trapped. Um, but whales, they do this really great thing. So they're coming to the surface to breathe, um, and they've been found to consistently um, defecate <laughs> at the surface. Um, and so their poop is actually really high in nitrogen. Um, and so they're providing these nutrients high up in the water column um, when they're coming up to the surface to breathe. And so that's actually bringing new nutrients up to the surface. Um, and that in itself is important because it is a fertilizer for phytoplankton. Um, phytoplankton are the very, very base of our food webs. So they're extremely important. Um, and so the, the poop that's very, very rich in iron um, creates kind of these perfect growing conditions for phytoplankton. Um, and phytoplankton capture so much carbon dioxide. So this is the carbon sequestration that we were talking about. Um, it's, it's estimated that of all the planet's uh, carbon that's produced, about 40% of it is captured by phytoplankton. So phytoplankton is super, super important. Um, and that's why this whale pump bringing those nutrients to the phytoplankton um, is, is really helping capture all of that extra carbon and, and helping with climate change and protecting our, our Earth's atmosphere. Wow. Um, what are the other reasons whales are important to humans? Yeah, so whales, um, as we mentioned with the food chains, you know, they maintain those balances in the ecosystem. So obviously that's going to be extremely important for anyone in the fishing industry, right? We want to make sure that those populations are staying healthy. So we have plenty of fish for everyone um, and for that industry. Um, whales also have cultural significance in, in some cultures. Um, but I think the the key thing to highlight here is is whales also are providing jobs, right, for people in the tourism industry and whale watching. Um, so they're bringing in billions of do dollars in revenue um, to towns that, that have whales through tourism. 
um, which of course is beneficial to the cities. And then of course those those jobs of anyone working on those boats in those areas, um, like through whale watching excursions. So, you know, Ocean Connectors even hosts some whale watching tours um, during the gray whale season here off the coast of San Diego. Um, and having those responsible encounters with whales can show the public just how beautiful they are and hopefully inspire them to advocate for their protection because they're just pretty cool animals. Now, what type of whales are found off the coast of California? Can you describe their most important and distinct characteristics? Of course. Yeah, we get many different whales that can come through California. Um, you know, there are some that are definitely less common and some that are more common. Um, of course, in Northern California, you're more likely to see orcas here in Southern California, not as often, a little bit more rare. Um, we get the occasional minke whales, false killer whale pods, even brutus whales occasionally. Um, but the most common that we see um, are gray whales. So gray whales are known for lacking a dorsal fin. Um, they have what's called dorsal knuckles instead, which look like our knuckles, little bumps or ridges near the base of their fluke or their tail. And um, they have a mottled gray color, hence their name. <laughs> and they typically have barnacles and lice on their skin and they get to about 49 feet long or so. Uh, we also get blue whales in California. Of course, those are the largest animal on earth um, and they grow up to about 100 feet or sometimes a little bit more. Um, they're torpedo shaped, about 200 tons. Um, they're about mottled blue-gray in color, but they're pretty rare to see since they're endangered. Um, so you see those more uh, during the summer months um, here off of our coast. And then humpbacks are also quite common to see. They have the largest pectoral fins, um, which are their, their side fins that stick out. Um, they can grow up to 16 feet long, just their fins. Um, and so that actually helps them be able to push themselves up out of the water a bit easier than the other whales. So humpbacks are typically the ones that you see most often breaching. Of course, other whales can do that. It's a bit easier for the humpbacks. Um, and they usually have dark backs a light underside, and of course, they're known for those those pleats on their throat. Um, and I, I would think the other most common one um, that I think is important to mention that we see here in California are fin whales, also known as fin back whales. Um, they're long, sleek, and they're the second largest and also the fastest whales. So um, oftentimes, if you see a fin whale, they pop up once and they disappear on you. <laughs> <laughs> And what are the migration patterns or periods of whales in California? Yeah, so the gray whales, they're in California typically from December to April. Um, so the gray whales are the ones that you see most often on whale watching excursions during those months. Um, they're migrating from their feeding grounds up in the Arctic all the way down to Baja, California, which is where um, they have their birthing grounds. Um, and so that migration is approximately 12,000 miles round trip. Um, then you have the blue whales. So as I mentioned, they're here during the summer months, um, anywhere from about mid-June through October. Um, and they migrate to California from their winter breeding grounds in Central America. Um, humpbacks are also here during the summertime. The main time to see them is, is mid-June through October, but um, they can be found in, in Northern California, anywhere from about late April to early December. 
Um, and then fin whales are in California through uh, November through about February or so. And some, some stocks stay here and then others migrate. Uh, fin whales are a little bit harder to, to nail down um, since they, they go everywhere. Wow. And what are some of the threats to the whale population? Yeah, so whales have quite a number of different challenges that they're facing. Um, historically, it was hunting or whaling. Um, that was the biggest threat in the past. But thankfully, whaling was banned in 1986. Um, it still does happen commercially in Japan, Norway, and Iceland. Um, but here in California, obviously that that is not happening anymore, which is really great and allowed some of these populations to rebound. So now some of the biggest threats are entanglement or bycatch. That is when whales get caught in fishing gear um, or litter that has been left. Um, and it's it's quite strange to think that a whale can drown, right? But it can happen if they're getting entangled and then they're not able to swim properly or, or get to the surface. Um, the other problem is with uh, global warming and our, our climate change that's happening. So as our oceans are heating up, um, it's actually melting ice and their food source is dependent upon that ice for survival. So it's actually depleting their food sources. Um, and it also can impact their migration patterns and the timing. Um, so when they're leaving or coming back from their migration. Um, there's also noise pollution. So that's a really big one. Um, most people are familiar with, with sonar, um, and, but really any noise pollution can, can be damaging. So underwater explosions or pile driving for, for construction purposes. Um, but especially some of the, the really big anti-submarine warfare class of sonar um, has actually been found to, to do damage to the eardrums of whales, causing the whales to go deaf, uh, perforating those eardrums, confusing them and causing disorientation, which can leave them vulnerable to predators and can also cause them to get stranded as well. Um, and, and pollution, of course, pollution is always a big one. So not just plastics. Um, and then as we mentioned, nets and other things that get left in the ocean, but a big one is also um, oil spills. So we know that that historically has been a problem for whales as well. Um, and ship strikes. So it's so important for anyone who is on boats to really make sure that they're keeping their eyes out for whales um, because unfortunately strikes sometimes do happen um, and that can impact the whales as well. Now, is there any uh, danger in the sonar used in depth finders that is used on recreational and smaller commercial vessels? Yeah, so sonar in general, of course, any type of noise underwater can impact um, whales because they do use sound to communicate and to find their food. Um, but in general, when we're talking about the dangers of sonar for whales. Um, most of what you hear about in most of the research is on these um, really big, um, you know, military use anti-submarine warfare class of sonar. Um, and that's because they have these really, uh, they, they top out at high decibels. <laughs> um, so, for example, I think the Navy and, and um, sonar systems that they use top out at around 235 decibels, I want to say, um, which is, is quite high. Um, so depth finders and fish finders on recreational or smaller vessels 
um, they're going to be much less of an intense <laughs> decibel. Um, so they're, they're not the ones that we're as, as worried about at all. Um, and of course, they're going to be more in a smaller range. So it's going to be directly under or around that small recreational vessel. Um, but of course, you know, be whale wise, for example, still still suggests it's still a best practice to turn off fish finders and depth finders when whales are nearby, um, just to err on the safe side because any noise at all can of course um, impact whales, which rely so heavily on that sound. And how about boat strikes? Can you share with us some stats about whale strikes in the past 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's unfortunate that they happen, um, but of course it, it does happen. Here off the US West Coast, we have some of the heaviest ship traffic associated with some of the largest ports in the country. So that includes the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach and San Francisco. Um, and so we have just a lot of boat traffic. <laughs> um, and so any of the whale species that are off our coast um, are vulnerable to, to vessel strikes. Um, so unfortunately, between a 10-year period of about 2009 to 2019, um, NOAA estimated there was at least 60 blue whale, gray whale, fin whale, and humpback whales um, that had signs of ship strikes and had been found dead um, across California, Oregon, and Washington. So um, it does happen. Some of the, the biggest offenders are these really big ships, right, like cargo ships. And, and they're so big that a lot of time these crews have no idea that they've even struck a whale until they get into the port. Um, and so, you know, many of these container ships are, are more than a thousand feet long, right? This is what we're talking about, these massive, massive ships. Um, and so, you know, the Santa Barbara Channel had record-breaking whale and ship strikes in 2018, 2019, and 2021. Um, and so it, it, it is still happening, and it is happening uh, more frequently than, than we would like. Um, so again, just really important to, to be aware, to be looking around, and, and making sure that you have people spotting those whales and pointing them out um, and to try to do our best to avoid them. And what are some of the most common signs of distress we can observe? What do we need to do if we see a whale in distress? Yeah, so um, most of the time you'll either see a visible injury um, or some sort of entanglement. You might see something dragging off of the whale or, or wrapped around it. Um, of course, if you see a whale you know, struggling at the surface or, or blowing air underwater um, or swimming in an abnormal way of some sort, whether they're off to the side. Um, all of these can be signs of some sort of distress. Um, I think it's human nature that when we see a whale in trouble or any animal in trouble, in trouble, we might want to jump in and, and help it. But please don't do that. That's really, really important that you call professionals to come in and take care of that. Um, because if if just the general public tries to handle it themselves, oftentimes you end up with not only a whale in trouble, but then a human in trouble too. And we just don't want that. Um, so there's a few different ways that you can report a whale that is either in distress or um, if you find a dead whale as well. Um, so to report a dead, injured, or stranded whale, there's the West Coast region stranding hotline. 
Um, that one I'll share with everyone. It's 866-767-6114. Um, there is also a really easy one to remember, um, which is the National Ocean, uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. It's their whale entanglement hotline. Um, and that one is uh, 1-877-SOS-WHALE. If you still use the old uh, old phone numbers where you can get the <laughs> the letters with the numbers there. Um, you can also report it to the U.S. Coast Guard on your VHF channel 16. Um, and then I actually use a couple of apps on my phone as well. So we use what's called the Whale Alert app. This app is really cool. It uses your GPS coordinates to find where you are and you can report exactly which type of whale you're seeing, whether it's alive, dead, or in distress. Um, and you can upload photos as well. So it'll help the people on the other end see what you're looking at. Um, and there's also Dolphin and Whale 911 app, and that's through NOAA as well. Great, thank you. And what are some of the federal and state laws currently protecting whales? So the biggest one is probably the Marine Mammal Protection Act. So that's a big one. That one came about in 1972. Um, so that uh, Protection Act, um, it, it includes like a, a general moratorium on taking and importing of marine mammals. So you can't own a piece of a marine mammal, um, which really helps, you know, prevent people from wanting to, to continue to hunt these animals or, or take pieces from the animals. Um, there's also the Endangered Species Act, which came around right after the very next year in 1973. So that was establishing protections for any sort of threatened or endangered species, um, being able to put them on the endangered species list. Um, and then of course, putting more preparations, planning um, and funding towards their recovery, which is great. Um, then there's also the National Marine Sanctuaries Act. Um, so that was uh, also a law that allowed NOAA to create uh, marine sanctuaries and, and marine protected areas and also regulate and uh, manage those. Um, and there's actually a brand new one that I don't know if a lot of people know about. So brand new to California um, just this year, 2023, um, the International Maritime Organization adopted a U.S. proposal to increase protections for um, endangered blue and then fin and humpback whales off the California coast. So it, it just took effect this past summer, um, which is pretty crazy. What it did was it expanded areas um, that they recommended vessels to avoid um, around the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. And then there's also a new voluntary speed reduction zone where boats are advised to travel at 10 knots or less, um, both around the Channel Islands and also up in Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary as well. So we do have quite a few laws in place that are helping out our whales. That's great news. And how should people observe these magnificent giants legally and responsibly? In other words, how can we properly share the road with whales? Well, I always like to say we should give the whales the right of way <laughs> when it comes to rules of the sea. Um, so that means if you see a whale and it's in your path, right, our boats are typically faster. We're easier to maneuver than these big, massive giants. Um, and so to really give them the right of way to, to be looking out for them at all times, um, it's always best to also stay 
at least 100 yards or, or 300 feet away from these whales at all times um, and to never approach them directly from behind. So even on the whale watching boats, you know, people want to see whales, they get very excited. But if you approach a whale directly from behind them, this is typical predator behavior. And if a whale thinks a predator is coming, well, you're not going to see very much of that whale. They're going to try to get out of there. Um, so you don't want to approach them from behind. You also don't want to ever approach them head on or cut off the direct path of the whale because that could completely cause them to change their course, um, which impacts their migration. Um, and then if a whale goes down for a really deep dive, sometimes um, this is called a sounding dive. This is where they go underwater for a longer period of time. You might be saying, okay, well, we're not seeing this whale, we should leave. Um, but actually the best thing to do is to make sure you wait until that whale resurfaces again. So you know where it's at before you leave with your boat again. That way you're making sure that, you know, these ship strikes aren't happening. You see where the whale is and that way you can avoid it as you depart that area. And how else can we help these majestic giants? So definitely just to, to go off of what I was saying before, you know, be alert, be vigilant on the water. Um, if you wear polarized sunglasses, you can better see the marine mammals in the water. Um, making sure you're following speed zones and other signage. Um, and, you know, report strandings and entanglements, um, help to track healthy and distressed whales, such as using that, that app that I use, Whale Alert. Um, and, uh, you know, just be aware of what whale sightings have been in the area. So you know to what to keep your eyes out for. Um, there was a new program in place in 2020 called the Whale Safe Project, which combines satellite data, civilian sightings and underwater acoustic buoys to help communicate with boats. Um, and take it upon yourself to communicate with the other boats. That's something um, we do on the boats that I have been on is if we see a whale um, or we see a, a group of whales, a pod, or we see, you know, anything, we're, we're constantly in communication with the other boats around the area to say, hey, be aware, this is out here, check it out. Um, and, you know, since, you know, climate change is also a threat, you know, looking at ways to mitigate your carbon footprint is also always going to be helpful as well. Thank you. And that was the last of my questions. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners today? Yeah, just we are so lucky to be living here on such a beautiful coastline to be able to get out on the water and share this amazing habitat with these magnificent whales. Um, and I think it's it's crucial for us to continue to support conservation efforts that protect whales and address um, environmental threats to these whales. Um, and I encourage anyone who hasn't gotten out there on the boat to see these amazing animals to, to really do so because I think they're inspiring. Um, and uh, our nonprofit organization, Ocean Connectors, we actively contribute to whale conservation through our educational programs that raise awareness about the importance of these magnificent creatures. Um, we try to connect communities and young learners to the marine world. Um, and so, yeah, if you'd like to get involved with us, um, you can always follow us as well at oceanconnectors.org, but we do lots of stuff with the kids. So I encourage adults to also get out there and get inspired to learn more. Um, there's, there's always more to learn 
right? And so, yeah, it was just wonderful to be here today and, and to talk about um, a topic I'm, I'm very passionate about. So thank you so much. Thank you, Danielle, for your time today. And thank you all out there for joining us. Please plan to tune in to our future episodes. For more information about whales, please visit noaa.com. That's noaa.com and search for whales. This podcast was brought to you by California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways, the California Coastal Commission, and the San Francisco Estuary Partnership. And it is partially funded by the Division of Boating and Waterways Clean Vessel Act Education Program and the Federal Clean Vessel Grant Act Program.